Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. Funnily enough, this turned out to be the thing that saved me, the knowledge that I could get back by myself. Anne Patchett, Tom Lake. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, I'm joined by Bookshelf floor manager Olivia Schaefer and online sales manager Aaron Fielding to give you a rundown of our favorite new books releasing in August. Do you love listening to From the Front Porch every week? Spread the word by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and then tell us what you think. Here's a recent review from Katie. Great podcast. This podcast is very well done and covers a variety of books and bookish topics. It feels structured but not predictable, so listeners know what to expect, but they are never bored or endlessly skipping over parts of the episodes. Thank you, Katie, and thank you to all of the reviewers who've left kind words and thoughtful reviews about the show. We're so grateful anytime you share From the Front Porch with your friends. Thank you for spreading the word about not only our podcast, but also our independent bookstore. Now, back to the show. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. I cannot believe we're talking about August books. Uh, in my head, I thought we were talking about September books. So <laughs> <laughs> I have, I think we each have four. Is yes. that correct? Yes. And I had trouble finding August releases I wanted to talk about. Erin, yes, I think you were yes, in the same boat as I, I was. totally did. I actually feel like the four books that I chose today are like the perfect books that are like, this is what Olivia reads. This oh, okay. is four, which I might regret saying after I talk about <laughs> all of them. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how you feel. But I looked at them and I was like, this is a good four. This is a good four. <laughs> I'm so happy. Do you think that August is a better month? I've never thought about this. Do you think August is like a really great month for thriller suspense for kid lit? I think because this is the month that like, especially for kid lit, August and September are like the big like, hey, we're going to put all the good ones here. Mm-hmm. In my mm-hmm. opinion, this the publisher could listen to this and be like, mm. <laughs> but <laughs> I think they put all the good books in August and September so that they're ready to sell when mm-hmm. the holidays start. Uh-huh. That makes sense. It, it gives like, them time. Yeah. When I'm pulling for like my holiday kid list, it's almost all like August and September yeah. releases. Uh, that makes and sense. Because we do know, I mean, Right, we've noticed that like November and December are not huge publishing mm-hmm. release dates. I mean, uh-huh. December especially. Sometimes in November you get some big books, but for the most part, I think publishers do try to get it in before those last two months, so that the last two months the emphasis is just on recognizability and like selling, mm-hmm. um, yeah, gift giving. But I, I don't know. For some reason, August. I guess my typical genres. I had trouble finding some books I don't know maybe or maybe or maybe it's my brain maybe I'm just tired and I was maybe going through the list thinking yeah <laughs> maybe I'm the problem I don't think it's you I had a very tough time and usually I don't like I was really scrounging for not to say that these aren't great books I'm going to talk about but I always do love I love it when I get to come on and be like these are four amazing books yeah. that I just read you know and I like Olivia I had a hard time narrowing it down these are good books and I think people will enjoy them, but maybe they weren't even all for me. Um, and so I'm yeah. interested 
it was just tough. Like there's just not a lot coming out in August for me. Well, I think summer is the time of thrillers. Yeah. So I'm thriving right You're now. Whereas you time. guys are just like, <laughs> what can we scrape? <laughs> okay, let's get started. I will kick us off with the book that I quoted from at the top of the episode, Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. I think this is probably the most anticipated book of mm-hmm. August. And not just for me, but I think readers in general really love Ann Patchett. I personally have always loved Ann Patchett's nonfiction. And then only in recent years have I really enjoyed and appreciated her fiction. I loved Commonwealth. That was kind of my first, that might've been my first Ann Patchett fiction to finish. Like I still have not read Bel Canto or State of Wonder, but Commonwealth I really loved. And then The Dutch House was one of my favorite books when it released. In fact, I feel like a friend of mine recently reread that, and I would like to reread it as well. I loved Maeve, the main character. And so it's like a certain type of Ann Patchett book is what I really love. And those are the books where she deals with family dynamics and family interactions. And I do think Tom Lake is going to be a return to that. I will be very upfront and say I have not yet read Tom Lake. However, it is on the top of my TBR list. I had some other things I had to finish and I knew it wasn't releasing till later. And so Tom Lake released this week on August 1st. It is set in the spring of 2020. And much of the book takes place when three daughters return home to their mother during the spring. So kind of adult adult children returning home because of the pandemic and things happening in the world. And they wind up convincing their mother to tell them about the time that she fell in love with this actor, this kind of handsome actor at a theater company called Tom Lake. So that is where the book title gets its name is this theater company. I feel like we've had a lot of theater adjacent books this Mm -hmm. season. I think about Summer Stage, which my mom read and really enjoyed. Just feels like I'm reading. I just finished Once More with Feeling, which is a romantic comedy that deals with the theater. So I think we're, I think theater is having a moment in literature. (laughs) And so it, it is all set at this theater company. But it's told like the mother is telling her three daughters and reminiscing. And so the book is set at an orchard in northern Michigan, but there are kind of flashbacks and memories taking place at Tom Lake. I love the idea. I mean, I I don't come from a large nuclear family, but I have a very large extended family that I spent a lot of time with growing up. And even this past week, we had a family birthday party and I love nothing more than to sit and just listen to my mom and her siblings talk about their stories. And that has been one of my favorite parts of my childhood is kind of just hearing them talk about what life looked like when they were growing up. And so I very much love the idea as an adult child, I love sitting at the feet of my parents, listening to them tell stories. And so these three daughters who come home And if, you know, since the book takes place during spring of 2020, I have a feeling they needed those memories to kind of ground them. And so they wanted their mom to tell them stories. And I love that. I feel like it's a flashback to our adolescent or younger selves where we just wanted to be told stories. And so I love that. Nancy on staff has read this. I think it took her a minute to get into it, which may be part of the reason I have hesitated. Also, everybody knows I tend to, when I loved a previous, uh, an author's previous book, I really do tend to 
put off reading their next book. It happened with Britt Bennett. And then Britt Bennett's book, The Vanishing Half, was beautiful. So I really do think I will love Tom Lake, but I have been a little hesitant because I really like Ann Patchett and I want to like what she writes. But Nancy, it took her a minute, but Nancy also has a personal connection where Nancy grew up in Michigan. And so I think she was really looking forward to reading a book kind of with that setting. So I'll be interested to see how Nancy finished it up and what her feelings were about it as she finished the novel. But this is on my TBR list. I think it is highly anticipated. It's got a great cover. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading it. It came out this week. That's Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. You should listen. Stuff You Should Know just re-recorded an episode about the birth order and oh. like how that like blends into like your personality and everything. Um, and it was really well done. I would love but to you should to that. Just listen to it because more, more information keeps coming out. So they're like, we wanted to talk about it again. Oh. And I always find sibling order and dynamics super fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like someone who reads a lot of dysfunctional family would appreciate yes. that. <laughs> yes. I do need to listen to that. I would appreciate that. Okay. My... First book is out August 8th. So next week, it's called Mr. Magic by Kirsten White. I think her first novel that she ever wrote was Hyde. And that came out last year, I want to say. And it was great. This one was even better. Okay. (laughs) Hyde was like, I saw the end coming. And I was slightly disappointed that I saw it coming. This one was, I saw the end coming. But there was still such a big buildup that I was just Mm. like, I, I don't know. You saw it coming, but you had to see it played out mm-hmm. sort of thing. Okay. But Mr. Magic is about this television show that these kids grew up on. This like group of six children grew up on this television show. I thought of it as like, did anyone watch like Out of the Box? <laughs> no. So sorry. Was that a regional? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody somewhere in their car is driving and they're like, out, out of the, the box. They're <laughs> so excited. It was this group of kids who got together and they would build this like playhouse out of like boxes and they would like, nope. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really good. This actually blends even more into the story than I thought because okay. Mr. Magic was like, um, it uh, ended abruptly because one of the children left and there was a fire and then no one can find any sort of evidence that this was a show. But everyone remembers growing up watching the show. (laughs) Out of the box is very similar because like it's very hard to find like episode. It's not played anymore. It might be on YouTube, but like like Mr. Magic, there's like this huge cult following around it because it was this group of six kids. They would sit in this like black room with like black walls, black floors, and then they would just use their imagination to like go on all of these adventures. Erin is already shaking her head like, no. Well, she, she had already told me the plot of this. And I was like, no, no children <laughs> in black rooms. No. That is the first mistake. So then there's this guy who comes on the show. His name's Mr. Magic. And that's and where I like, am out. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> no, you want me to call you Mr. Magic? Absolutely not. <laughs> Okay, well, Mr. Magic will come out if they ever have any problems and he solves them. Or if things get, like, out of hand, he'll, like, come and, like, like whisper to the kids and, like, Mm. calm them down. But, like, Mr. Magic was known, like, he wore this cape and he had this stick and, like, no one ever saw his face because he had a hood Mm. up. And so, like, moms were just, like, enthralled by him because he had this way of, like, if a kid got too hyperactive he would just like whisper and then they would calm down they were just like oh this is such a great show for my kid to watch or if like (laughs) one of the kids would like trick somebody or do something a little bit mischievous like mr magic would come out and like 
you know, whisper mm-hmm. and then they would like stop the situation. So moms were like enthralled by him. Although now everyone's looking back and they're just like, mm, I think mm. <laughs> the kids were fine. Yeah. <laughs> but Something's anyways, happening. <laughs> the show ended abruptly and flash forward 30 years, we meet this woman, Val. And Val was on the show, but she was the girl who was taken abruptly from the show by her father. And they have lived on this ranch for 30 years. She doesn't remember being on the show or what happened at all because her father has just kept her secluded on this ranch. When her father passes away, an obituary is put in the newspaper and all of the kids who were on the show come and they're just like, Val, we found you. Uh. There's a podcast being filmed and they want to talk about Mr. Magic. So they wanted to interview these last kids, this group of six mm-hmm. kids, because they were kids that came prior to them. And this was like the final Mr. Magic group. And so Val's like, I guess so. But also I don't remember being on this show. And so they like go to the house where like the kids like were filmed. And then they also like lived in this house. It was real weird. I will say that. I understand it's weird. Uh, (laughs) And like the whole truth behind Mr. Magic and what happened with Val starts to like unravel. It was so good. And and what I liked about it too was like the end had like a, a supernatural approach to it, but you saw it coming because right from mm. the beginning, you're just like, all right, these kids in a black room and then all of a right. sudden like color is everywhere. Like you saw it coming and you kind of see what's coming to the end, but you're just like, but how is she actually going to make this work? And then you read the afterword of the story by Kirsten White and she grew up Mormon. And Mm. so this was kind of like her own way of like reckoning with her childhood and just like putting it out there on paper. And it was just, it was so good. I loved it. And the cover is awesome. It's like this bright pink cover with like this um, colorful panel on the TV. Like one of those, just like my TV is not working. Colorful panel. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, I want to know two things. Like, this sounds horror, like yeah. more horror than suspense. Is that true? I, <laughs> I think we're asking the wrong person. <laughs> I know, I'm so bad at categorizing horror. <laughs> because, like, where does that line fall? What Were right. parts of it creepy? Yes, parts of it were creepy. And um, that's but right, I, I guess to because... me, it was more suspenseful. I was never okay. scared at any point. It was okay. just kind of like, what's going to happen next? Okay. The slight supernatural element, I just wondered. And I mean, obviously, children in a black box with right. a creepy man sounds horrific to me, but what, what <laughs> do paper, I know? Not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. My second question is, would they, would you recommend, obviously, these are totally standalone, but I am intrigued. And I was intrigued by Hyde when you first told me about it. Would you start with one or the other? I think if you're going to read both of them, read Hyde mm-hmm. and then read Mr. Magic and on her high, on her like strongest note, you know what I mean? Okay. But yeah. Hyde was excellent because the characters were so well done. And I think I heard maybe Kindle told me that they're turning it into like a movie or something. Oh. You uh, did? Well, or did I you tell you. Kindle? <laughs> well, I told somebody it's a graphic novel oh. this fall. Oh, okay. That's it's a what graphic it was. novel. Yes. Um, Which that I think she- is going to be great. Yeah, that um, is adapted, I think, by Scott Peterson, which I'm just really intrigued by because we don't really see this often where, like, a a modern fiction work, like, we get these graphic retellings of of classic novels and stuff. But this is the first time, at least I am aware of, where we're taking, like, a a 
modern, you know, just came out last year or two yeah. years ago, like book, and then we're reinterpreting it. I just think that's interesting. Um, so that comes out this fall too. That'll be great. This one, I think if it were turned into a movie, which would be excellent, it would be a horror movie. Oh, okay. Okay. That okay. That's helpful. Like, yeah. I wouldn't watch the movie. Right. But I read the book and loved it. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm intrigued. You've definitely intrigued me. Okay. My first one is The Connellys of County Down. It's out August 1st, so it's out already. It's written by Tracy Lang. She also wrote We Are the Brennans, which I did not know that when I chose this book. And then I thought, that name sounds familiar. And then I looked back and I thought, oh, well, she wrote We Are the Brennans, which I did not read. You, you think you read that, Annie, We Are the Brennans? No? I didn't. Okay. I didn't. No, no. It's okay. I, wanted I didn't mean to, to call you out, but it did really well at the store. I think people, you know, yes. people bought a lot of it. But she does this. Uh, what I understand is the similarities between this book and the other book is that sibling that sort of familial sibling relationship storyline. And this is about Tara Connolly. She's 30 years old and she's just been released from jail for possession of drugs. That's all you really know her as. And so you're thinking like, okay, you know, but you quickly come to find out that she was not doing anything bad, that she's covering mm. up for someone. And um, that, mm. and she refused to tell the police who that was. And so she ended up going to jail uh, and took that time. So she's back. She's living with her brother who has a son, um, you know, is raising a single son as a single father and she has a sister. And so they're all living in the same house. And I don't, I don't even remember where this is set, but it does kind of give me like Boston-y vibes again, like sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, they're all like this Irish family living in this, living together. Their parents, uh, I think they've been orphans for a while because both of their parents died in a car accident. Her brother has a traumatic brain injury, so he's been out of work. He's kind of, you know, having a difficult time. Their sister is a bit of a hoarder, so each one of them have their own issues that they're dealing with. And so Tara gets out. She's trying to find work. She's trying to get her life back on track. She's trying to make up for lost time with her nephew and her brother and sister. And things kind of start to, it looks like things are going well for them. Like her brother's maybe going to get a promotion at work. Maybe her sister's doing great. And, but she sort of starts to have a lot of interactions with the police officer that put her behind bars. Like the police officer, that was the one who was responsible for, you know, helping to convict her. And they sort of start a little bit of a romantic relationship. And I don't want to ruin the rest of it, but it, as you can imagine, a person on parole having a romantic relationship with the police officer that put her behind bars is a no-no. So there's a little bit of, you know, a forbidden love storyline, but it's not like, it's not raunchy. You know, it's, it's really just like, we don't want to do this, but we just are really, we really like each other a lot. And so that relationship and that secret starts to unravel some things for her, puts, puts her parole in jeopardy. The secrets about why she went to jail start to unravel and start to, they really start to put things in jeopardy for her brother and her sister. Her sister makes a choice during the book to sort of do some fraudulent financial activity. And that also starts to put Tara's parole in jeopardy. So the whole time you're just like rooting for these people, you're rooting for their, for their family and you want them to do well. You don't want her to go back to jail. You know, you kind of want her to things to work out with the police officer. So the whole storyline is just the beauty of it is the, that it's very hopeful, even though these people have been to jail, they're out of work, they're, 
you know, struggling with secrets. Um, it's super uh, hopeful. I love the relationship between her and her siblings and her nephew. It's very cute. And the characters to me just felt very real. I was really intrigued and really couldn't put it down once I started because I wanted to find out like what's going to happen to them and are they all going to be okay? Because you're very invested in them pretty quickly. So that is The Connellys of County Down by Tracy Lang out August 1st. Did you listen to that one, Erin? No, I actually read it. Because I have been curious about the audio adaptation because, you know, Libro FM will sometimes publish blurbs from other booksellers or whatever, kind of telling their opinion of the audiobook specifically. And somebody, I think it was a bookseller, somebody was like, this book is phenomenal on audio. Mm -hmm. Like, And I was just curious. I have not read it, but I've been tempted to listen to it because apparently the audiobook is fantastic. Okay, my next one is The Peach Seed. This is by Anita Gale-Jones. It came out this week. Part of the reason this has been on my radar since I first saw it in a catalog however many months ago is because the author is from Albany, Georgia. <laughs> I laugh because locally that's Albany, like, <laughs> but it is Albany, Georgia. <laughs> but, but there is definitely a... Albany. Southern, yeah. I have heard you and Jordan say Albany so many yeah. times. I just assumed that that's how, like Cairo is not Cairo, it's Cairo. I assumed that you had to say it Albany. No, we tease because we're like, okay. Albany is how people say it. It's Albany, but I've never heard anyone down here call it Albany. Never. It's always Albany. <laughs> Albany. Yeah, always. <laughs> but I don't think it's like the Cairo Cairo thing. I think it is supposed to be Albany. Albany. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, the author is from Albany. And this is a book that is partly set in Albany, Georgia. And so I am curious about it. This is a multi-generational novel that opens with a man named Fletcher Dukes. He is at the Piggly Wiggly in Albany, Georgia, and he kind of is taken back. He smells like this perfume, and he's immediately taken back to kind of his long-lost love. And he turns around, and there she is in the Piggly Wiggly in Albany, Georgia. Turns out we find out that she fled the South years before. She and Fletcher are both Black, and so she had fled the South after some negative experiences. And Fletcher then becomes, like, he they kind of reacquaint uh, themselves with one another. And my understanding, because I've not finished this book, my understanding is that much of the book winds up being some flashbacks to the Dukes, that's Fletcher's family, to the Dukes' family through the generations, including um, a period of enslavement uh, in in, I think, South Carolina was my understanding. And the novel gets its title from the fact that Fletcher's family, the Duke's family, passes down this peach seed that has kind of been carved and it is passed down from generation to generation as like a talisman, a kind of good luck charm type of thing. And so that's where the book gets its name. So the book really belongs, I think, to the Duke's family. It kind of is a multi-generational story. You find out why Fletcher stayed and his love, you know, the love of his life left. What brought Fletcher's family to Albany, Georgia? What happened um, to his ancestors who were enslaved in South Carolina? So it sounds really interesting. And there are just not a lot of books. I mean, part of the reason that this was interesting to me and appealing to me 
back when I first read the description, there are just not many books set in our neck of the woods. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm quite curious about it, curious to see how it does. It is not entirely historical fiction, but it is partly historical fiction. And so I'll be curious. I'm curious about this one. I think I gave a copy to my mom to read, potentially for shelf subscriptions. I don't know if, if it's one she has gotten around to. But anyway, I'm intrigued by it. It is called The Peach Seed by Anita Gale-Jones. It is her debut novel out this week. Switching gears just a little bit. My next book is Whale Fall by Daniel Krauss. <laughs> this I'm is so not excited. <laughs> In true Olivia fashion, I read this book about a man getting swallowed by a sperm whale while also following the news about the Titans mm. sitting on a beach. <laughs> Very timely. Too close to home. <laughs> so this is about Jay Gardner and Jay. I think he's pretty young in the book. Like, I want to say he's like 19 or or 20 or so. But his father has just recently passed away. He commits suicide. Trigger warning for that and many other things to come. But Jay never had a great relationship with his father. His father was this, like, diver, this free diver. But then he also just did these, like, any odd job around the marina because he was a drunk and he couldn't hold a job for very long. And he would just drag his son Jay with him wherever he went for whatever job he was on. So like Jay from a very young age did learn how to dive. And so they had like a big argument one night caused Jay to leave his family, like his sisters and his mom. And he just basically couch hopped between friends for like years until his dad got sick and he still wasn't ready to like reconcile things with his father. So when his father passed away, his like way of like kind of getting closure, not only for him, but also like for his family was he was going to go free dive down and find his father's bones so that they could at least like cremate him and have that. So Jay goes on this free dive. It's up in new England. So like water's pretty cold, pretty crazy like he goes down this one like there's like the cliff like the continental cliff it's like right there and he's just like I'm only gonna go down until I have this much air and then I will come back up and like I'll keep it very safe because he knows he can't see anything Mm -hmm. so he goes down the water starts swirling around him he looks behind him and there's a giant squid and he was like all right we're just gonna remain calm because the only reason a giant squid would be here is if it's being chased by something. Mm. And sure enough, like a sperm whale comes up behind the giant squid. And like when he opens his mouth, the suction of the water just pulls Jay in. So from that point on, Jay is in the mouth, uh, in the belly of a sperm whale. <laughs> um, <laughs> so does turn pretty survivalist at this moment in time. Uh, he does go through several stomachs. Trigger warning for claustrophobia. I don't know. Trigger warning for For, if you get swallowed and you're stuck in a stomach. You have a fear of Um, being swallowed by a whale. That's a very common fear. I don't know. Being swallowed by a whale. Biblical trigger for the story of Jonah. (laughs) (laughs) But while in this whale trying to survive, he has like an hour left on his like air tank. But he starts having, like, all of these flashback moments to, like, times with his dad. And they might be, like, bad times with his dad. And some of them are, like, the, like, few good memories he has with his father. But, like, he's really getting getting closure inside this whale. So, like, it has these, like, beautiful moments throughout this book. The majority of it is him 
hacking his way out of this whale. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know, it's really good. Well, it sounds like drowning a little bit, like the book that we all read this year and really loved. Like we loved that book. Um, I am super, I think I would like to read this very much. And the chapters were so short. Like some of them were just like a page because it was just a quick memory or just like, I'm in stomach number two now. Like (laughs) it was just, and like, there is like definite gore involved because again, he is in the stomach of a literal whale, but there's also just like, it was just really well done. And it was a really unique book. I've never read anything else with a guy literally in a whale. Yeah. Okay, to go from the stomach of a whale to the title of this book seems fitting. It's called Just Another Missing Person by <laughs> Gillian McAllister. <laughs> just another whale stomach. Yeah, just, <laughs> just another day. It is coming out August 1st. It's out already. Um, this is her second book. We, uh, I don't know, Annie, if you read it, but Olivia and I definitely read. Yeah, you read it. Um, wrong Place, Wrong yes. Time. And it was great. It was like time travel, but it wasn't overly scientific. It was just a great book about family dynamics and and a good mystery. This one is, and again, I'm not finished with this one yet. Olivia has finished it. So she (laughs) told her to blink twice if I'm getting all the the details right. But (laughs) the story of Julia, she is a detective. Both of these books are set in England. I think Gillian, Gillian, I don't know how to pronounce that, is a British writer. So it's all set in Britain. And she has a teenage daughter named Genevieve. She's Her marriage is on the rocks with her husband. And she is reeling from, a, from two things that happened to her, which was something happened to her daughter, which I won't spoil it. There's an event that happened with her daughter the year before that she has covered up. And then there is another missing persons case that she kind of bungled the year before and they never found the girl. She is, um, there's a missing girl named Olivia um, who has gone missing, a young woman who just moved to the area and she goes in an alleyway. They can see this on like close, you know, close circuit TV. She goes in an alleyway and she never comes out. Like, like they, they, they don't ever see her coming out. They, they've searched the alleyway. There's no possible way that she could have escaped out of there. And so they're just going through everything try to figure this out. And in the meantime, she is, I guess, accosted by a mystery man in her car who tells her to drive to the scene of the crime and to plant some evidence that has DNA on it of a, of a different person. And they, he Hmm. says basically like, if you don't do this, plant this and convict this person of murder of, of Olivia's murder, then I'm going to reveal what happened with you and your daughter last year and the thing that you covered up. So she has a choice. Should I be a corrupt cop and Mm. save my family or should I basically like air out all my dirty laundry, lose my job and, you know, maybe my daughter might go to jail, but also try to be like not a corrupt cop. So that's where I'm at right now. (laughs) So Mm. I wish I knew more about the ending, but I do love the way that she writes. I feel like she's so good about dropping small breadcrumbs along the way so that you're already interested but then she'll just kind of drop a, a chapter here or a fact here or a name here that makes you be like, oh, and suddenly you're kind of putting it together. You're putting the pieces together. I don't know. Olivia, you said you might have kind of seen the ending coming like you like you could sort of see it coming. 
past a certain point, there was a huge plot twist uh-huh. that happens. Like, I think you're really close yeah. to getting to the plot twist where I did have to pause for a second and like go back and like right. look at some Get stuff. Your <laughs> and that, that was a, she did a really good one on that one. And then from mm-hmm. that point on, you're just like, okay, I know how this might right. play out now. Mm -hmm. Um, but that plot twist really was a game changer. Yes. And I never, at least so far with this one and her, in her previous book, I never get bored. I'm always like Mm -hmm. really want to just finish it and see what's, what's happening. So I think she does a great job of not only, uh, including like the mystery, the thriller aspect, the crime solving, but to me, her, the relationships she writes about as far as familial relationships, she just does a really good job about that too. And just the showing you the motivation between the main protagonists, like between their pull of their love for their family and what should they do about that. And then also there's this other thing. And so sometimes it means betraying your family and are they willing to do that? So I am really looking forward to finishing this one. I know a lot of people are excited about this who loved her first book. So it's just another missing person by Gillian McAllister. It's already out. I am excited about that. I would like to read that because I loved her first one. And I agree. Like, I think it's they're great mystery suspense books, detective books, but they're also lots of family dynamics that she does a really good job writing about. Okay, next up for me out this week is Family Lore. This is by Elizabeth Acevedo. I have not read her previous books, but I think both of you have read her previous mm-hmm. works, yeah, Clap her, When You um, Land. Clap When You Land mm-hmm. was one of my favorites. Yeah. So this is her first adult novel. So I'm super intrigued. It's got a gorgeous, I think, very striking cover. But like her previous works, this one is told in verse. So it is the story of a Dominican-American family told through the voices of the women in that family. And particularly the voice of a woman named Floor. Uh, Floor can predict when to the date uh, someone is going to die, which honestly does not sound great to me. I would uh, opt oh, I'd out of that. I'd want to know. <laughs> I would opt out of that. Floor decides she wants to hold a living wake. And what her sisters and the other women in her family don't know is does Floor want to hold a living wake for herself because she knows when she is going to die and she has kind of figured that out and it's soon? Or is it someone else in their family and Floor is just trying to like kind of think ahead and have this living memorial? It almost reminded me... I. Olivia, I don't think you would have read it. Erin, did you read The Celebrants by Stephen Rowley? No, I haven't read it yet, no. It's a great little book, but it interestingly deals with this idea of living wakes and living funerals. And so they kind of have some similarities. So the book is set across three days, which I do love. I Mm -hmm. love something that has a very specific start and end. Um, So it's set across three days leading up to the wake. And then the story is told not only in verse, but in different voices of different women in the family. I have started this one there. Part of the reason I have held off on finishing is because there is, I think partly each daughter or woman in the family, my understanding is has a different kind of gift and ability. It reminds me a little bit of like Encanto, like, like an adult version of Encanto where they all have like these gifts that they have in the family. Yes. And I really have to, my brain does not naturally read like magical elements really well. Like (laughs) I have to really like hunker down and get into it. And so I have not really fully dived into this book because there's a, there's a magical realism element to this book, which is not my typical genre. And so I think the writing is beautiful. I love books and stories told in verse. I I'm always truly amazed by that kind of talent. That is just a a type of writing that is absolutely foreign to me. But I am very curious how this one will do because it is her adult debut. 
I wonder if her young adult fans, most of whom I believe were adult to begin mm-hmm. with, I wonder how they will appreciate her her adult novel. So this is Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo. You're re- you were reading this too, Erin, or you were listening? I'm, I was listening to it, which I, that's what I was going to say. If you think, oh, that sounds great, but maybe verse is not for me. I have listened to both of her books and you cannot tell that it is like the, the narration mm. is just like someone telling a story. Mm-hmm. So if the story is interesting to you and maybe, you know, get the book and also listen to it and read the that's book at the idea. same time. Like, so you get the experience of the verse and the narration, but it is really, it's really beautiful. The women are so strong. I just love a good book where the women are like the protagonists and they're the you know, matriarchs yes. of the family and they have all these gifts. It was good. Erin, do you know, does the narration alternate or is it the same narrate? I'm just curious since it's a family of multiple women. I am pretty sure it, it alternates. I think there's more than one narrator. Yeah. Okay. My next book is really fun. It's middle grade. Uh, no one gets swallowed by whales. This is Rewind by Lisa Graff and it's out August 22nd. I just jumped to the end of the month. But... I read other stuff by Lisa Graff. I want to say there was one called Far Away and she's excellent. She's a really good writer where she will sneakily put somebody in somebody else's shoes and like give you like a whole nother perspective. And you're just, you watch the main character have a lot of great realizations. This one was about this little girl named McKinley and McKinley lives just with her dad and her grandmother. Her grandmother had a stroke like years ago. So she's on like a very strict, like this is when she gets medicine. This is how and when she eats, like And her and her dad take care of her grandmother, but her dad is very strict about everything, obviously. And so McKinley is this like carefree girl. She loves fashion. And so her school every year puts on this like big day called the time hop where they choose a decade and they do a whole day based on that decade. And this decade they're doing is the 90s. Oh, fun. if you look yeah. at the cover of this book, it is like it walked out of like Saved it's by so the Bell. Fun. Like it's so great. fun. <laughs> and so McKinley's really excited. She has put together all like this whole like fashion show for the time hop oh. um, that she gets really excited about. And then her dad gets called to work and she has to watch her grandmother. And he's like, I'm so sorry, but you can't go because your oh. grandmother needs to be taken care of. And she's distraught. So mm. McKinley obviously sneaks her grandmother into the time hop and goes to the fashion <laughs> show anyways. Her dad finds out, gets so upset and yells at her in front of everybody. And so she runs away into the girl's bathroom. And when she comes out, she realizes she just time hopped into the literal 90s at that school. Oh. And so then she gets to meet her dad as a kid who was like this bully of a kid. Like picked on everybody was always mean very selfish and she meets like her best friend's mom and husband but not husband at the time obviously and then she meets her grandmother pre-stroke and like has like a really nice moments with her (laughs) like and I like I don't want to give away too much but it was just McKinley kind of really started to learn like well first off she messed up a lot of things because when you time travel like that uh due to like the butterfly effect, you really can't do much. Mm. Um, And one of the teachers in the school, like time hopped himself. And so he like keeps trying to like rally her in and she, she can't be held down, but she does learn a lot about like her father as a kid and like why he is the way he is today. And with her grandmother and like, it was, it was such a fun story because also that she just threw in like a ton of nineties references. Like, 
someone was wearing parachute pants. They Mm. went to the arcade and played Donkey Kong. (laughs) It was, there were sour punch straws involved. Like it was just so much fun. I think like if, if you're in like our millennial age group and you're just like, I'd like to try middle grade, this is a great place for you to start. Yeah, good. Yeah. It sounds just like a sweet story, no matter, you know, yeah. forget the time, like travel. That's an awesome story. It is. It, it was reminds so me much of fun. Back to the Future, which I love. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And how great for it's many millennials who are in our age group have young kids and to get to yeah. read this together would be really fun mm-hmm. too. But I love the premise of that. That sounds really fun. Okay. My next book is The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. I just came upon, literally when I'm looking for a book, I'm just like scrolling the list of books that are available (laughs) to us. (laughs) And sometimes I'm like, this sounds interesting. So um, I picked it up. He obviously wrote, has written tons of other books, Seeking King Kong, The Color of Water, The Good Lord Bird, The Five Carat Soul, which I read back like a really long time ago when it came out and enjoyed it. Um, I'm again, not finished with this one yet. Thank you, August, but, (laughs) but I'm going to finish it, but it really drags you in because the very first chapter is these workers in 1972 are like, you know, doing some construction, they uncover a well and they find a skeleton inside of it. And so they go around kind of like, there's a clue. I think the skeleton has like a, something in its hand, like some sort of a metal, pennant or something and Mm -hmm. they can tie that clue back to someone and so they go to his door and they knock on the door and they're asking him about it that's how the book opens and then the rest of the book so far that i've read is the story of and i feel like i'm going to say this wrong it's moshe m-o-s-h-e i'm sure people are like that's not how you pronounce it but moshe moshe and chona ludlow they are a jewish couple that lives in this chicken hill neighborhood of Pottstown. Pennsylvania. Olivia, is Pottstown a real place? (laughs) (laughs) Olivia's so excited. She's like, Yeah, that's like real close. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you should read this. And it's all about, and it's set back. It doesn't, I can't remember if it says the actual time that it's in, but they are in this neighborhood that's mostly now made up of sort of down and out Jewish people and down and out black people. And so it used to be like a thriving town. And of course, as these things um, terribly happen, the white people decide to move, the upper class Jews decide to move. And so Chona and Mosh are have big hearts and they decide to stay and they have this grocery store called the Heaven and Earth Grocery Store. And so they serve their Jewish neighbors, their black neighbors, but everybody's sort of down and out in this town. But they all uh, have these really strong bonds because they've been together forever. Moshe runs um, these theaters, like where black, he's one of the first Jewish people to allow black performers in this time period and perform in his theaters. And so he has the respect of the black community and their thanks and gratitude. And so he's, he's doing very well. Like they do well with the theaters, they do well with the grocery store. And, you know, but of course, they're just so kind hearted that they're always like slipping food to this person and giving this credit on this person. This is not exactly a plot driven book, I would not say, but it's very, you get in-depth ch- chapters about each character, about about um, Chona and her life, about Moshe and how he grew up. There's other side characters um, that they meet that you kind of get their backstory. But I think it's all leading up to seeing how each of these characters is about to play a part in like sort of a, a, a mm. plot point. So I'm not there yet. I will, I'll update later, but there's a boy who is like maybe nine or 10 years old and he's deaf and mute. And he is the nephew of their janitor, their beloved janitor that's been with them forever that works in the theater. 
And they want, the state wants to take him and send him to this institution for kids like this. And of course, they know this institution is not a good place for a child, mm-hmm. right? This is the kind of place where kids are not taken care of. They're just shoved into this institution and not taken care of, especially a child, a black child. And so mm-hmm. she agrees, Chona agrees to basically take on this child. They don't have children of their own. So they take on this child. They are trying to hide him from the people who are looking for him. And I I have a feeling that what's coming is going to involve a very prominent doctor in the town who's also a part of the Ku Klux Klan, which is not which is mm-hmm. terrible. But I have a feeling there's going to be, uh, there, you can tell that there's some tension boiling between him mm-hmm. and the members of this community and the search for this little boy, I think is all going to come to a tipping point in the book. So, and that's going to mm-hmm. result somehow in the skeleton being found in the well at the end of the book. So I um, am fascinated to continue reading it. If you've read his other books and liked it, or this just sounds interesting to you, it's a bit of, uh, I would, I guess I call it historical fiction. I mean, it's not set in the mm-hmm. present time. So uh, if that's historical fiction is your is your jam, this would be for you too. I'm excited about this one. I like James McBride quite a bit. Yeah. I feel like I've said this on the podcast before, but he performed at Word of South a few years ago and just was one of the best performers I've ever seen yeah. live. Like he did readings alongside his gospel band and it was phenomenal. But anyway, I love Color of Water. And then Deacon King Kong, I enjoyed, but I guess because of book life. I don't know. I never finished it. And so I'm curious about this one. He's just a good storyteller. That's what, that's what helps you. You're like, even though the plot's not moving along a ton, you're all invested in these stories. He's telling you about these people, or at least I was. Yeah. Okay. My last book is Holler Child. This is by LaToya Watkins. It comes out on August 29th. It's not out yet. LaToya Watkins is the author of Parish, which I think did pretty well at the bookstore. I think it did well at indie bookstores nationwide. But this is her short story collection. And I will say that earlier this week, I read a really fantastic short story collection. And I'm discovering that when my brain feels a little fractured and I feel like my concentration cannot handle much, short story collections are a great solution for that. And I feel like short story collections often get... I don't know, kind of disregarded or ignored. I think people think they're not accessible. And I would gently push back on that and encourage people to give short story collections a try because you don't have to to read the whole collection if you don't want to. And I think those stories would be such an answer to our collective concentration problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is LaToya Watkins' collection. It's 11 stories. Um, Most of them are dealing with race, power, and inequality and how those affect an individual. But the stories are not necessarily connected in any way. They're just short stories kind of dealing with those themes. I like LaToya Watkins as a writer, and I'm excited for this short story collection. I think it could be a really great answer to, yeah, to maybe struggling to read, especially in the waning days of summer. So it is Holler Child by LaToya Watkins. I love that title. Um, There's a short story in the collection of that same name by LaToya Watkins out on August 29th. I think short stories are, to me, sometimes even more impressive than a full novel because they pack so much into a little story. Yeah, it's wild to me. My next book is another middle grade. I think it's like right between chapter book and middle grade for me. There aren't any pictures in there, but it's a shorter middle grade story. It's called The Lost Library. And this is two authors, Rebecca Steed and Wendy Mass. 
I don't know Wendy Mass that well. She wrote Lo and Behold, which was pretty big, I think, in the indie bookstore realm. And then Rebecca Steed wrote The List of Things That Will Not Change, which I also believe won a, like an award or two. But this, it starts out, like the first chapter is from the point of view of this cat named Mortimer. And Mortimer is like a library cat, but he lives in this historical home because in this town, the library burnt down like years and years ago. And he's just like the cat from that library who got displaced from it. But Hmm. when you first meet Mortimer, he finds like a couple of mice in the like museum that he lives in. And he just like kindly ushers them back outside. (laughs) (laughs) But he lives there with this ghost of a woman who used to work at the library and they're setting up the like a little free library outside of the museum. And Mortimer decides that like this is where he's going to be. So he stations himself the little free library where he meets this kid named Evan who comes to like take a couple books from the library stand. Evan starts putting together that all of the books in the library it, from the the card in the back they all got returned on the same date. Mm. So he starts looking into this because he realizes this was the date that the library caught on fire and no one knows how the library caught on fire. And so he's just kind of like, well, maybe I'll try to figure it out. But while Evan's like trying to solve this mystery, you see all of these townspeople like walk by and, and see the start of this little free library and slowly and slowly everyone starts adding to it. So like they'll bring like a wheelbarrow and like a big like beach umbrella to like keep it from rain. And then someone adds like a box of books, but turns it sideways so that it's covered like and it just grows into this like library on the side of the road while Evan's like solving this mystery of like what happened to the library. It was delightful. Um, Also, Evan's dad is this pest control guy who specializes in mice. And so... (laughs) But he doesn't like to harm the mice. So instead he will catch them and then he'll drive to like the nearest field and he'll just release the mice. So he's not great at his job. Like he's not making much (laughs) money because he has to give so many refunds because the mice just keep coming back. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's one of those stories that like this would be an excellent read aloud. Like I think if you do like a chapter a night with your kids, it would it's delightful for everybody. Okay, my last book is called The Great Transition. It's out August 15th. It's written by Nick Fuller Guggins. <laughs> Sorry, that's just a funny last name to me. Um, <laughs> he, this is his first novel. He is an elementary school teacher from Maine, and he wrote this book. Again, I'm always impressed oh. by people with these debut novels, and they're so good. This book takes place in a post-climate crisis world. In other words, they there was, as we all know, like, you know, you look around, there's there's a climate crisis. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was like, I know it's, it was a little this scary, world reading, right now. It. Yeah, it scary <laughs> reading it and then talking about like the things that were happening that led up to the climate crisis. And I, and I literally opened my weather app to check, like just to check the local weather. And it was like hurricanes in this town and record heat in this town. And I was like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> but basically what happened was like, they could see this climate crisis happening. So all these people sort of be- created this volunteer or I can't remember his volunteer mandatory army. Like the world sort of like was like enough. We've got to deal with this. And so people just started volunteering to go help with this climate crisis. And because of everyone's work, they actually reached like zero net, like zero carbon emissions. And the world was finally like healing again. And, you know, they, they changed everything around. People got displaced, of course, because there was, 
you know, these towns were not suitable for living anymore because of the climate crisis, you know, rising water levels and stuff. So we meet Emmy, who's living in Greenland with her father and her mother, and she's a teenager. And her mother and father met, um, we find out throughout the book that her mother and father met as climate activists, climate, you know, crisis warriors or whatever. They were both, um, he was a, he ended up, he had a lot of deployments. He ended up being a fire jumper where he would jump out of a plane and try to put out fires on the ground. And one of his assignments was to go in and save some other fire jumpers that had been like surrounded by fire and couldn't get out. So he jumped in, you know, save the people. One of those people was Christina, who's Emmy's mom and his wife, um, you know, eventually they fall in love and become uh, married, but she's always been like, while everyone else is celebrating and kind of enjoys living in this utopian world where everything seems to be working. Okay. Christina just can't let it go. She's like the person who's like, no, if we don't remember, we'll just keep repeating our mistakes. And so she, um, does all these basically voluntary things where she leaves Emmy and Larch, Larch is the dad's name. She leaves them to go do climate work. So she's never really there. She's sort of this character who's talked about, but she's never around. And so when we meet her in, in this book, she's about to leave for another deployment in New York, which is where no one can live because of the water <laughs> rising. <laughs> so, um, but, but basically like she's gone and they're Larch and Emmy are celebrating this day. They call it zero day, which is the day they celebrate reaching zero net emissions and an assassination start happening all around the world of these, what they call climate criminals. And, Christina, it turns out she's a part of the group that's assassinating all these people. So she goes dark. They can't find her. They go to New York together to try to find her. And in the meantime, Emmy is taken by some people who are trying to use her as ransom, basically, to make Christina stop killing all these people. So it's to me, it leaned a little bit YA, not to say that the writing is YA, but just because Emmy is our main protagonist it's a lot of the from a viewpoint of a teenager so it reads like a teenager is telling you a story you get to see all of her emotions it's interspersed with chapters of this project that she's doing for school called the great transition project which i think everyone has to do which is where they interview people who were there when all this happened they called it the great transition when all of that started happening so she's interviewing her mom so there's a lot of chapters where she's interviewing her mom about what happened. And so that's really all you get. You never get it from the viewpoint of the mom. You just get it from Emmy and her dad. But um, I don't know. I just liked it. Uh, it was a great family dynamic story. I loved the, she has a really fraught relationship with her mom. She's really close to her dad, but she's also a teenager. So as you can imagine, she's sort of like hates the world and everything in it, but she's also going through, you know, she's also like sweet and kind and curious and loves her parents a lot there was enough like mystery sort of like the thriller part of like, who's, who can you trust? Who took her? You know, why do they want her? There was a bit of thriller in there. And I do love a bit of like post-apocalyptic, like science fiction-y type stuff too. And there was enough of that in there for me to just want to keep reading and find out what happened. So, you know, it's not, it's not deep, but it's, it's about a loss of a relationship, about a loss of identity. It's about a loss of you know, Emmy kind of goes from this naive teenager to this like world-worn person in the search to find her mom. Anybody, if you do like that sort of post-apocalyptic, a little bit of a teenager viewpoint um, with a little bit of thriller thrown in, The Great Transition by Nick Fuller Guggins comes out August 15th.
Okay, so as we go through, um, as we move into, gosh, August and then September, just keep in mind when we do these new release episodes, Aaron has made browsing podcast book selections super easy. So you can go to bookshelfthomaswell.com. You can type episode 436 into the search bar, and then you'll see all of today's books listed ready for you to purchase. You can also use the code new release, please at checkout to get 10% off your order of any of today's titles. That includes books that are out already and then books that you would be pre-ordering. So that code again is new release, please. And today's episode number is 436. This week, I am listening to Social Engagement by Avery Carpenter. Olivia, what are you reading? I am reading Mother Daughter Murder Night by Nina Simon. (laughs) (laughs) Erin, what are you reading? I want to finish up Just Another Missing Person by Gillian McAllister. So long, farewell to you, my friends. Goodbye for now until we meet again. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Cammie Tidwell, Chantal Carl, Kate O'Connell, Kristen May, Linda Lee Drost, Martha, Stacy Lau, Chanta Combs, Stephanie Dean, Ashley Farrell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson, Susan Eulings. Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see write a review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, you can support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support, Front Porch Friends, Book Club Companions, and Bookshelf Benefactors. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week.